0: Okay, we're going to, as uh, Selo as said, we're going to dive once again into the book of Luke after taking a month out for our Relationship Goals series and then a once-off last week looking at Thanksgiving. We're going back into Luke and we're going to be there for this week and next week and then we're jumping out of Luke again until the new year and then we'll pick it up again. But I'm really excited to be able to jump into Luke again because we're going to hit a story that uh, is incredibly explosive to the status quo. It was explosive in first century A.D. Middle Eastern culture. It was explosive in the Jewish tradition of the faith and it is still in our world incredibly disruptive for the way that we think Christianity can be institutionalized or made into protocols or traditions. Jesus is going to blow those things wide open in this story. And it's a story that actually we've been through before. About two months ago or so, Pastor Mosala from Grace Generation Church in Peter Maritzburg was uh, with us and he was preaching on the Good Samaritan. And uh, that was as a one off Sunday. And as we have gone through our series in Luke, we are going to hit the same story again, but from a slightly different angle. So you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be picking up this story of the Good Samaritan. But I've called this. Uh, this message, the subversive Samaritan, and uh, I'm aware that not many of us might be fully aware of, of what that word means. Subversive. So there's a reason why I'm picking up this word. That I think it fits the the character in the parable, and I think it fits the saviour who's telling the parable as well. To subvert something is to turn something around, to disrupt or dismantle something. And Jesus is a very disruptive kind of guy. I don't know if you've picked that up yet. He, he walks into rooms and tends to change the mood and the atmosphere and the attitudes that are in the room. Whether he is turning over tables or healing on the Sabbath, he, he tends to be a very disruptive, divisive figure. And so Jesus here is acting out uh, part of what this character also does in the story. And there are two stories that are going on here at the same time. There's the story of Jesus talking to the lawyer, and he's telling the story of the Samaritan in the context of the lawyer. And so let's read through this story together, starting from verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he picked him up and dusted off all of his wounds and healed him back to full health. No, that's not what it says. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also got out his medical aid kit and started healing him and restoring him back to full health, because that's what good Levites do, right? No. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, this is now Jesus talking again to the lawyer, out of the story, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Father God, as we enter into this story of a Samaritan and a priest and a Levite and a half-dead, beaten-up guy, you would help us to enter into this parable. You would help us to to know who we are in this parable. Lord, we pray that we would receive something of your heart as you're telling this story, that it might provoke us. It might inspire us and instruct us to know how we can live lives that will please you, reflecting something of the great mercy that you have shown to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you got to know that when you're being told a parable from Jesus, it's like a Steer's Wacky Wednesday, right? It's a a two-for-one kind of deal. You get two stories for the price of one. The first story you get is the, the story around the other story. It's the context story. It's important to know who's telling the story? Who's receiving the story? Where are they? Are they standing up or are they sitting down? Who's lurking on the outskirts, eavesdropping on the conversation? Where are they? What time period? And in the context of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, where is this story taking place in? It's the context story. And when he was here, Masala spoke so brilliantly unpacking a lot of the context. So I won't do too much of that, but I want to really recommend that you go and find it on Because just listening to it again, I listened to it twice this week, and it was just an incredibly helpful unpacking of the context story. But the context story occurs to get to the parable story, the parable story of the Good Samaritan and the characters that Jesus tells. Now, in the context story, Jesus is talking to a lawyer, and he's talking to a lawyer who has a really fair, really valid question. How do I inherit eternal life? And yet good questions aren't the only thing that's required. Good questions that need to come with good hearts. And, and this lawyer in verse 25 is, is here, they testing Jesus. The word testing has a negative connotation of seeking to trap. Jesus, and then in verse twenty-nine, when the uh, when the lawyer thought that he was trapping Jesus, but realized that he's actually been the one who got trapped himself. And in verse twenty-nine, he says that he's trying to justify himself; he's trying to defend himself against the trap that Jesus laid to the trap that the lawyer first laid. And so you have this lawyer who is here, who is provoking a story that comes from Jesus about a very most unexpected man, a Samaritan man, And that's the story that I want us to enter into. I want us to enter into the parable in such a way that it's like we're on the Jericho Road ourselves. It's like we're there and we can see the things happening ourselves. I want us to feel what it must have been like to be there. I want us, as Jesus is telling the story, for us to be like, he's telling me this story. And and I'm this kind of a person. And this is the lesson that I'm taking from the parable. That's how we should read parables in parables parables as much as in context. The characters matter. The plot line, the themes matter. The places matter. In this story, even the objects matter. And so let's take a deep dive into this parable and and ask the question, Lord, what are you showing me today? This parable starts in verse 30, and in verse 30, we read this. Jesus replied to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man is going out from Jerusalem to Jericho and pause. Because if you wait long enough, you might actually even hear the gasp that the audience would have inhaled when they heard, from Jerusalem to Jericho, that that road is significant. That road is notoriously dangerous. And so there would have been a gasp in the audience. there would have been a wincing, a tensing of, of the muscles. Perhaps for some who've made that journey themselves, there might even be the, the trigger of, of previous trauma that they have experienced in their lives. This road is a notorious road. Uh, one commentator, Mike McKinley, writes this. He writes that the modern-day equivalent of the Jericho Road is like telling someone that someone is walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night in a rundown part of a city center. And when you feel that, you just you, you know that's not a safe place to be. You know that's not a dangerous place to be. And you know that something bad is about to happen. So Jesus sets up the story for what is about to unfold. That this man, we don't know much about him, widely regarded to be a Jewish man, is walking from Jerusalem, which is uh, obviously the center of the temple, to Jericho, which is usually where the priests and the Levites and stuff travel to. They commute daily based on what ceremonies or rituals are taking place. And that road is about a 23-kilometer uh, journey. It's like from here where we are now to Kluf, uh, but it descends dramatically from, from the Jerusalem, which is like a city on a hill. It descends downwards by a long way, over 3,000 feet down. And it's on these cliff-face edges and narrow pathways, uh, a cliff where robbers would easily be able to jump out in the middle of the night, and he's descending down into the valley eventually to get to Jericho. It is no surprise, given that this is the context, this is the story, this is the road. It is no surprise then that in verse 30, he continues, And he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead." And this is where Jesus, I think, starts to get intentionally antagonistic. I think he's intentionally provoking responses through this because once we understand the road, we get introduced to the people. In verse 31, Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. Now, friends, this is offensive. This is offensive to Jewish people. This is portraying important people in the community, priests and Levites, in the most unflattering of ways. These guys are meant to be servants. They are meant to be compassionate healers. They are meant to be guides who go towards trouble and towards the broken and towards the needy. And yet you have not one, but two people, a priest and then a servant or an assistant to the priest, a Levite, who who look at the needy and might have felt, we don't know, might have felt the the pull to mercy and decided to cross over the side of the road and to go the other side and to move on with their lives. And this is offensive to Jewish people. This is not what we would have expected these two characters to do. And it gives us quite a warning. It gives us a warning shot of what it's like to seem, act, feel, hear religious, and yet be unwilling to do some of the most basic things, like to love the needy or to move towards those who do not have or in need of help. Let's be in that road for a minute. Okay, th- this guy, he's, he's naked, he's destitute, he's physically in a really bad shape, and these guys are walking along this notoriously dangerous road, and they see this man like this, and, and, and we aren't told anything of what pops into their minds. That's important, because it's easy for commentators to say, oh, they thought this, or they were like this. We're not actually told in this story. What we're told is that for some reason, they keep going, and they don't stop. And yet, there is actually a sign. We're not told what the priest was thinking. We're not told what the Levite was feeling. But we have the context story to fall back on. We're in the parable story, but the context story is Jesus is talking to a lawyer, and the lawyer is trying to trap him in the law and act all good and religious. And he's missing something. Just as the priest, just as the Levite have missed something, the lawyer had also missed something. Now, we don't know what was going in. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were just really paranoid. They are on a dangerous road after all. Maybe, you know, like you, when you're home alone and you hear a noise and it's unfamiliar and you're not sure if you actually heard that noise or if that noise is like someone trying to break in or if it was just your stupid dog barking in the middle of the night. I'm just saying. Or, yeah. or, or if your mind just had made it up. You, you're not sure, but you know that paranoia kind of feeling. That's, I'm sure, what the Levite and the priest would have been feeling at the moment. There is evidence of danger on a notoriously dangerous road. Are they going to stop? Are they going to help? Are they going to endanger themselves more than they are already in? The answer is they're not because they just keep passing by. Who knows, maybe they were late for a ceremony and they really quickly needed to get to the temple. So maybe they were rushing. Maybe they looked at the guy and they're, they're just a germaphobe and they're like, I don't have my latex gloves and I, 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 I can't do this, right? And they, and they went away. We've got, we've got no idea what was actually going on there presently in that moment, yet something stopped them from showing the mercy that they should have. Something stopped them from loving when they should have. What stops you from loving those people? What stops you from stopping and looking and caring? What makes you keep passing by? There's a danger here. There is a warning shot across our barrels. What's going on in our hearts? What was going on in the Levite and the priest's heart? And that's where the portrayal of the priest and of the Levite is actually about the lawyer. If you see it, Jesus is telling a story to show some things, and what he's showing the lawyer is, you're the priest and the Levite, right? You see, the question that was being asked was of this testing, trapping, self-justifying lawyer. Well, the question that was being asked of him was a really simple one, right? Well, what does the law say About receiving eternal life. And he actually answered it correctly. In verse 27, he says it. He says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he actually does know what it means to follow the Lord. But he gets himself trapped up in a web because, just put your hand up, if you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart on all occasions, with all your strength and your mind and your soul. And the lawyer, could the priest, could the Levite, could anyone in this room actually say that you have perfectly been able to follow the law and therefore you do deserve your eternal life? And then he gets defensive, doesn't he? The lawyer gets really defensive. You know what self-defensive people do? I don't know why we call it self-defensive because it's like defensive, but they don't do that. Self-defensive actually means self-very, very, very aggressive, right? It's like attack mode, all right? It's like it's like someone coming at you and they come with questions. Okay? And this justifying question is really, really interesting. Fine. What who's my neighbor? That's interesting. That that shows us something about this lawyer. Rather than being willing to accept where he might have not met the full standard of the law, instead justifying, deflecting, trying to twist the story and twist the attention of Jesus away. And the subject is neighbor. Who is my neighbor? The Samaritan story is a story about neighbors. It's a story about who you and I are called to love. Which is where we jump into this. So, in verse 29, who is the neighbor? Verse 33. It's not the priest, it's not the Levite. Verse 33 is the Samaritan. Now, do you see? Jesus turning over everything that they thought, disrupting things, making things very awkward in the room, I'm sure. This is a subversive Jesus, a a Jesus who's turning everything inside out. This is a Jesus who's willing to stand on your neighbor being a Samaritan. This is a dynamic, explosive moment. This is the status quo being completely disrupted. A Samaritan. You see, the lawyer here is not just trying to justify himself. It's clear. He's also trying to exclude others. He's trying to justify himself, but he's trying to exclude people from being counted as a neighbor. The question of verse 29, and who is my neighbor, could probably be better rephrased as, who is not my neighbor? Or perhaps even better yet, who do I not have to love, serve, and give my life for? That's actually what he's asking. Who is my neighbor? No, no, no. Who do I not have to love with the sacrificial love that we're about to see from this Samaritan? That's actually in the heart of The lawyer, and that is why Jesus chooses a Samaritan. And this is so helpful. Jesus, here, by making the Samaritan the guy who stops in the road and shows the kind of compassion you would expect from a priest or from a Levite, what he's doing here is he's including the excluded, he's centering the marginalized. He's shifting all the power dynamics that exist between these two very tense and conflicting cultural groups. He's subverting all of the expectations that the religious tradition has put on them. He's exposing the hypocrisy in the lawyer uh, of the law. He, he's, he's calling out the hatred in the people who are actually called to love, and he's decluttering the hearts of everyone who's going to put their hand up and say, I will follow you. That's what he's doing with the words, and a Samaritan came. He's doing all of those things. You know, Jesus, I feel like he's in the room, and he's just going around, and he's poking away at the hearts of everyone in the room. doesn't matter if it's the hypocrisy here or the hatred here or the comfortable, uh, luxurious lifestyles over here. He's just, he's just found with one word, Samaritan, a way to ruin everyone's day. A Samaritan a subversive Samaritan and here's the thing if the lawyer is the priest and the Levite, then who's the Samaritan remember Jesus is telling a parable that we might enter into the parable that we might identify with the characters of the parable that we might learn the lessons from the parable so if the Levite and the priest is the lawyer who's the Samaritan but the new good news is, friends, it's really clear in an incredibly surprising way. There are hints of who the Samaritan is meant to portray in verse 33. Because the Samaritan is the one who looked on the needy and had compassion. You read through a gospel. You look at every single time Jesus looks at someone who's in need. Whether it's healing or financial or physical need, you, you look And you see how he responds. It will say, and he was moved with compassion. In verse 33, it's the Samaritan who binds up the wounds of the broken. In verse 34, he's riding on a donkey, but he's seeking refuge in an inn. And then in verse 35, he's offering to repay for the needs of the one he has just saved all of the needs of the one that he's just lifted from the road. Who's the Samaritan in this story? I think you might be getting there. Oh, but guys, this is more than just a scandal. This is more than just explosive. I don't have the word to describe it. This is a great subversion of everything that they see. Because for a Jewish audience, if they had heard that the Samaritan was the beaten up guy on the side of the road, they would have been furious you're telling me a Jew that I have to touch a half dead body making me unclean to enter into the temple for a Samaritan for someone who has betrayed you look back on you do you not know what the Samaritans did Do you not know that they're the guys who rejected God and just embraced the Assyrian Empire? They put up high places and false idols everywhere. Do you not know that we fought two different wars against them? Lost thousands of people. You're telling me that I've got to be unclean and not enter the temple so that I have to touch a Samaritan. But Jesus isn't saying that, is he? It would be a scandal. It would be a terrible betrayal of their religious traditions if they were told to become unclean on behalf of a Samaritan. But they're not being told that because the Samaritan is not the guy on the side of the road. The Samaritan is not the one receiving the love. The Samaritan is not the victim. The Samaritan is the hero. The Samaritan is the one giving the love, not receiving it. And if it would be a scandal for the Samaritan to be the guy on the side of the road, how much more is this an utter, utter scandal, a betrayal of the, of the rabbi's teachings, a, a betrayal of everything they thought they knew and had built their life upon for the Samaritan to be the hero For the Samaritan to be the most Christ-like character in this story. For the Samaritan... To be the one who can put aside his hatred and forgive the most lowly and to move towards the most broken and to display the most radical, sacrificial expression of love, putting his own life in danger, ruining his own comforts and convenience and ease, all for the sake of loving someone who was in need. The Samaritan is the hero in this story. And can you imagine what the lawyer must have been thinking as he heard in verse 33, and a Samaritan. Can you imagine what was going on in his heart? Do you imagine? It's like Jesus has come into his heart and is just busy rearranging all of the furniture that is going on there. So everything he thought he knew is being disrupted, and Jesus is putting the building blocks of a faith built on the radical sacrifice of someone moving towards the needy into the very center of his heart. The Samaritan is not a scandal. It's a subversion. It's a turning upside down, and a twisting all around, a complete reversal of everything they thought the kingdom of God was. And yet, that's not even the final deal. Because the Samaritan is not the victim, but the Samaritan is not just the hero, the Samaritan is the Jewish Messiah. In this story, the Samaritan is the one who displays Jesus. Jesus chose to represent himself to a Jewish audience as a Samaritan. As the most unclean and the most hated of all people in the community. And he says, that's who I am because Jesus is the Samaritan in this story. Jesus is the one who's going to bind up the wounds. Jesus is the one who's going to repay the needs. Jesus is on the same road. You actually heard it this morning from Luke 17. He's on the road from Samaria to Jerusalem himself. He's on that road. He is busy acting out the story of the Good Samaritan and to the Jewish community hearing that the person who was least likely to be Jesus in the story is actually the Messiah himself. is a complete role reversal. It is the kingdom of God displayed as those who thought they were in actually being out and those who think they are out actually being in. Isn't it amazing that the Samaritan in the story is completely unafraid to become unclean by touching a dead body? Just like Jesus himself is going to become unclean when he touches your spiritually dead body and he washes you with his own wine from the true vine himself and makes you clean. Isn't it amazing that he is willing to repay all of your needs, not just wash away the sin, but a promise to for whatever you have a need of to repay that in full. So he really can be your Jehovah Jireh. Isn't it amazing that this Samaritan is a representation of Jesus? And there's one more character in this story as we finish There's a warning shot to the lawyer about being the person who's going to miss what it means to follow God. There's the revelation of the Samaritan who's becoming the Savior. And then there's you and me. Then there's the guy who's beaten up on the side of the road, who's had his sin exposed everything about him. And he stands there in the shame of his nakedness. And he's had everything stripped away so there's nothing that he can call upon. No help on the way. No signal up on that Jericho road. And he's lying there, not just half dead, but dead dead, like really dead, like spiritually dead and destined for wrath. And what he needed most of all Was a savior. That's you. That's me. That's the story of the Samaritan, the story of someone who would come towards us in our deepest time of need to purify, to repay, and to be the savior that maybe we did not expect, but that we most desperately needed. Let's stand together, friends. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Perhaps if you are here, you might be identifying with a character in this story. Each of us were the guy on the side of the road. Each of us needed a savior. Each of us were down and out in our sin, completely exposed for the world to see, completely helpless to do anything about it. And we needed someone who's going to come along And no matter what the cost, no matter what danger lay before, was willing to pick you up and take you to that place of refuge again and wash away everything that made you less than who you are and restore to you your dignity as a child of this unexpected Savior. But the very last part of this story There's verse 37, with your eyes closed, I'll read it. The neighbor is the one who showed mercy. And then that final phrase, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Stop being the half dead guy on the side of the road and start being more like your savior who showed mercy to those who need it the most. Realize that you are no longer dead in your sin, but you are alive to God and that you can be an instrument of mercy now. You can show radical, sacrificial love. That might point to a subversive Samaritan who was actually our savior. Jesus, would you help us to respond in this moment? Would you help us to confess sin? Perhaps there are ways that we are like the Samaritan. Would you help us to reframe our own image of ourselves? We're no longer the beaten up guy on the side of the road. Would you help us to receive the help of the Samaritan. Would you help us to receive the grace of this Savior? And Jesus, would you help us move away from the beaten up guy and away from the priest and the Levite? And would you help us to move towards the Samaritan? I want to be like that Samaritan, Lord. I want to be like that guy who's going to look at someone and just see the dignity that is on them as an image bearer of God. And it's just going to move towards them with a radical love. It's not going to care about cultural norms or expectations. It's going to say, I am here to show the mercy that was shown to me. Help us, Jesus, to be living sacrifices to you. Just as you were that sacrifice for us. That radical display of love. Where you brought into the kingdom the most unexpected of people. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Help us this week to action out the Samaritan, to be hearers of the word and doers as well. I pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.